29 or through, through 30, I guess. 19 through 30. Okay? 19, Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. Now, we noticed uh, last time I was teaching through chapter 5 that Jesus has healed a man who's been sick for 38 years by a poolside. And he does it on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders, when they find out that Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath, they charge Jesus with breaking the fourth commandment. Because he healed a guy on the Sabbath. They said he was working. And then Jesus responded. He said, well, let me tell you something. My father's working all the time. And I'm working too. And once Jesus used the word Father for God, and he called God my Father, they then charged Jesus with being equal with God. And they charged him with blasphemy. Because if you say that God is your Father, in those days, the Jews equated that with equality with God, and it was a blasphemy. So what we have today is Jesus answering this charge that he's equal with God. Okay, And we're going to cover verses 19 through 30. And I want you to notice how this section opens and how the section closes. So look at verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. You see that? The Son can do nothing of himself. Look how verse 30 closes. I can of myself do what? Nothing. So you see in verse 19 and verse 30, he says the same thing. So these are bookends around the uh, topic this morning. Okay? This is a literary device. <clears throat> in the first verse, he says one thing, and in the last verse, he says the same thing. And it's a literary device so that you will not forget this one point. The son can do what? Nothing of himself. Okay? So it's a device to help you remember and to drive home that point. If Jesus can do nothing of himself, then he's not claiming to be God. They charge him with what? Claiming to be equal with God. But if he says this, I can't do anything by myself. Obviously, he's not claiming to be equal with God, because if he was claiming to be equal with God, he could do what? Everything of himself. See? So he's rebutting, rebuking, answering their charge that he is committing blasphemy by claiming to be equal with God. One thing you need to realize is the Gospel writers present Jesus as acting and living day by day as a human being. Was he God? Yes, but guess what? He doesn't uh, use his power as God. He, he, he in a sense, divests, divests his rights as, a, as God, and he operates solely as a man when he walks the earth. You have to realize that. Everything Jesus does when he's walking the earth, whether it's healing somebody, whether it's reading someone's mind or whatever it is, he's doing it solely as a human being. But a human being upon whom the Holy Spirit at his baptism came and abided with him. From that point on, Jesus starts acting in supernatural ways. He's like a human being who's supernaturally charged with the Spirit. Prior to the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus at his baptism, what do we know that he did? Do we ever hear a story of him healing anybody? 
No, he doesn't do anything. But once the Spirit comes upon him, he's like a supercharged human. And he can start doing things, but he can't do anything of himself. So that's one of the points that's going to be made in this passage. You still with me? Now I want you to notice another thing. Jesus makes three statements that are very similar. Verse 19, he says this. He answered them and he said, Old King James puts it this way, Verily, verily, I say to you. Some of your translations say, Most assuredly, I say to you. Or of a certainty, I say to you. So, verily, verily, I say to you. Now look at verse 24. He says the same thing. Verily, verily, I say to you. Or most assuredly, I say to you. And then look at verse 25. Verily, verily, I say to you. Or most assuredly, I say to you. These words are meant to be attention grabbers. Attention grabbers. Uh... And they speak of certainty. He wants to grab their attention. He wants to tell them something that's very important. It would be like a coach saying to his team, listen up. What's he doing? He's grabbing their attention, and he says, he's indicating that what follows is very important. They need to listen to him. So Jesus uses verily, verily, or of a certainty, three times because he has something that he wants them to listen to, and know that it's certain, what he says is very certain. So let's look at the, ver- the first verily, or this most assuredly. Number one, verse 19. Jesus answered and he said to them, who's the them? Not the disciples, the Jewish leaders who are criticizing him. The ones that have charged him with breaking the fourth commandment, the ones that have charged him with blasphemy, being equal with God. So look what he says in verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. So this is that direct rebuttal to their charge that he's making himself to be equal with God. Watch this. If Jesus is operating as God on earth, if he's claiming equality with God, uh, then that means he could be independent of God. Just think about that for a second. You have to think about these things when you're reading a verse. Do you know that? Once in a while, I tell my students, you do have to think about you know, one minute out of a three-hour class. Okay? So here's what you have to think about. If he's equal with God, then that means he's independent of God. So let's say that Lauren's here and I'm here and we're both equal. Guess what? She doesn't need to depend on me to do anything. She can do whatever she wants if we're equal. She can do exactly what I do. But he says... I can do what of myself? Nothing. And then what does he say? But what he sees the Father do. So what we have here is Jesus is not independent of God. He is dependent upon God. So he's not equal with God. He's operating as a human being here on earth. Does that make sense? So you can actually divide this verse into two parts. A negative and a positive. So look at that. The negative... The son can do nothing of himself. That's the negative. Now the positive. But, see, but, verse 19. On the other hand, here's the positive. He can do what he sees the Father do. Uh, Somehow Jesus can see God operating. And he mimics what God does. And that's what's happening here. And uh, this relationship of a son or a person 
seeing someone else do something, and then mimicking that person, speaks of a relationship between a master and his apprentice. Now, are you familiar with apprenticeship? Remember in America when apprenticeship was the way you learned to trade? Do you remember that? Remember Benjamin Franklin was apprentice? Remember that? So what we have here is the Father does something. Remember Jesus says, the Father works and I work. That's what he says back in 17. The Father works and I work. I do what I see him do. I'm an apprentice to God. Okay? So Jesus understands apprenticeship. How do you think Jesus understood apprenticeship? Where do you ever, you ever have any experience as an apprentice? I think he did. He would have been an apprentice to Joseph the carpenter. He learned by seeing Joseph do things. And then he did what Joseph did. That's how he's operating in his relationship with God. So, we have this apprenticeship concept. And uh, when you look at apprenticeship, and I'm convinced that this is really important. I wish we were in America doing apprenticeships more than we than less. Because there are three stages of an apprenticeship. First of all, you're, you are... You make a commitment to become an apprentice. You're called an entered apprentice. And if you're a mason in the Masonic order, you'll recognize these terms. An entered apprentice. And you know, in the trades, let's say you're going to be an apprentice to the plumber or the carpenter, whatever the master tells you to do, go get, you know, go get the wood. <laughs> go get the brush, the brooms. Clean up the, you know, the, uh, all the stuff, the sawdust on the floor. You do all the dirty work, the grunt work as an injured apprentice. And you watch the master making stuff. He said, now, when you're going to do something, this is the kind of wood that you would want to use. This is the kind of salt that you're going to use. And you're an injured apprentice. And then in the second year, you move up to a stage called craftsman. And in the Freemasons, it's called a fellow craft. Now, the Masons aren't a real trade organization. They're using these symbols to talk about how you build your life. But anyway, you are now a craftsman, and now you start doing work. So the boss tells you to go and get the saw and start cutting this length of wood, and you do it. And he examines it and says, good, you did good, and so on and so forth. And you learn the craft during the second year. And then during the third year, you're working as equivalent to a master. At the end of the third year, you have to produce a master project. And then once you're a master, then you can apprentice others. That's an apprenticeship. Okay? So what's happening here, Jesus says in verse 19, I can't do anything on myself. Okay? But I'm an apprentice to the Father. I watch what the Father does. See that? And then look what he says in verse 19. And he does, for whatever he does, that's the Father, the Son does, in like manner. That's an apprenticeship relationship. So that's the kind of relationship Jesus has with the Father. Three-year relationship. How long did Jesus minister? Three years. And he disciples his ministers to his disciples. They're with him for three years. That is how education used to be. How many years do you go to seminary normally? Three years. It's based on that apprenticeship concept of Jesus and his And by the time you're uh, at the end of your three years, you get your Master's of Divinity degree. And you have to have a project or a paper that you've completed, a Master's paper. 
and you have to pass that in order to be considered a master of divinity. So this is what Jesus is doing. He is an apprentice, and he's imitating the Father. So Jesus is rejecting their, their accusation that he is claiming to be equal with God. He says, I'm not claiming to be equal with God at all. I can't do anything of myself. I'm just God's apprentice. Does that make sense to you? So once you see that, then the passage sort of opens up for, uh, for itself. Okay. So, why does God direct Jesus? Look in verse 20. For, why did he choose Jesus to do this? For, or because, the Father, what? Loves the Son. Remember when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him? The voice came from heaven and said, this is my what kind of son? Beloved son. God loves Jesus, number one. Continually loves Jesus. And number two in verse 20, and shows him, look at this, all things that he himself does. So the Father reveals certain things to Jesus, and he says, I'm going to heal this man, and I want you to go over and put your hands on him, and he'll inform him. So in a sense, Jesus gets to see what the Father does, and he follows that pattern. So these are both present tense verbs. That means the Father continually loves the Son, and the Father continually shows him all things that he himself does. And now something about the future in verse 1. And he will, you see that? He will, in the future, show him what? Greater things than these. Uh, what he's talking about is the miracles, the healings. Hey, Jesus has done what the Father wants him to do, which is heal this man by the pool. But guess what? In the future, the Father's going to show Jesus even greater things. What could be greater than healing a man by the pool side? How about raising someone from the dead? You think that's going to happen in the future? Yes, it's going to happen in the future. Who's going, to, who's going to raise from the dead? What's one person? Lazarus he's going to raise from the dead. And he says he's going to show Jesus greater things in verse 20. Why is he going to do that? What's the purpose for all that? Look at this. That you may, right at the end of verse 20, you may what? Marvel that you might be amazed. And then the, the craziest thing is he's just healed a guy by the poolside and they're not amazed. He says, if this doesn't amaze you, just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. <coughs> He's going to do things that are going to knock your socks off. <coughs> and so that is uh, what Jesus says. This is all Jesus speaking to those Jewish leaders who are confronting him. And so he gives an example of that in verse 21. For as the Father does what? This is an example of the greater things. As the Father raises the dead... And gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He wills. God is the giver of life. Uh, he can open a womb that's been closed. Can't reproduce. You can't give life. God can open the womb. And a person gives birth. And when a person dies, he not only can open a womb, he can open a tomb. Has God raised people from the dead in the Old Testament? 
Has he opened the womb in the Old Testament? Yes, God has done that. And he says, you know something? Even so, the Son gives life. He has the ability to give life as well. So, Jesus has the ability that the Father gives him. He can't do it in and of himself. Okay? But then look at verse 22. Not only has ability, he has authority. For the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son. So here we see two things. Number one, we see that Jesus has the ability to give life, and he has the authority to judge. And uh, God has committed all judgment to the Son. Isn't that what it says? I think it says that. Verse 22, for the Father judges who? Noah. See that? The Father judges Noah. But he's committed how much judgment to the Son? All judgment to the Son. So Jesus is God's apprentice, and he is God's ambassador doing things on God's behalf. And one of the things he's going to do in the future is he's going to judge the earth. Apostle Paul says this on Mars Hill when he preaches his great sermon to the unknown God. He says, God, for, he says, God commands all men everywhere to repent, for he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world by this man whom he has raised from the dead. Jesus is going to be the agent of judgment. Now look at the purpose of all this. Look at verse 23. That, this has been committed to Jesus, that, so that, in order that, all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. That word honor means give respect. All this, Jesus has been chosen as his apprentice and as an ambassador to judge and heal and give life for one purpose, that you will respect Jesus the way you respect the Father. Look, when you come into a courtroom and you're facing a judge, when you address him, you don't say, hey, buddy, what do you say? <laughs> Your honor? You give respect and honor to the judge. Jesus is God's judge. The reason he has appointed that is for the purpose that we would give honor and the same honor and respect to Jesus as we give to the Father. Now, we have the Jewish leaders. Do they honor God? Yes, with their mouths they honor him. Guess who else they should be honoring and respecting? Jesus. Are they? No, they're condemning Jesus. You see how the passage sort of unroll, unfolds? And you sort of get the meaning behind all of this? So that's their purpose. Look at the end of verse 23. He who does not honor the Son, do the Jewish leaders honor the Son? No. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. To reject the ambassador is to reject the one who sent the ambassador on his behalf. So that's what we have. Really, who's being judged here? They're judging Jesus for breaking the command, fourth commandment, and they're judging Jesus for committing blasphemy. But in reality, who's being judged? The Jewish leaders are being judged. Jesus turns it right around on them. Does that make sense to you? Now, think about those implications. We've been reading an event that took place in the life of Jesus, 30 A.D., but John writes this gospel in 95 A.D. What does this message mean for his audience in 95 A.D. who are reading it for the first time? 
What's happened in 70 AD? The temple's been destroyed. Rome has basically decimated the whole city of Jerusalem. Over a million Jews have been killed. And when that happened, Christians didn't come to their aid. And there's a great divide between Christians and Jews by the time John writes this gospel in 95, and he tells this story. And for his audience, guess what? They've got Jewish neighbors who really don't like them. They say, we like God, but we don't like your Jesus. And for John's audience, if you reject Jesus, guess what you do? You reject God. Because Jesus says, no one can come to the Father except what? Through me. Now think about what is the message for us today. We're going to enter a new year in just a few weeks. What's the message for us in the beginning of the 21st century? If you don't honor Jesus and you don't honor the Father, you don't honor God, do you? Well, just think about all your friends who say, well, I believe in God. You know, and I try to live a good life, but they don't honor Christ. What does that mean? They don't honor God. How about all these different world religions? Let's say the Islam. So, well, we honor God. We get down, we pray three or five times a day. We face Mecca. You know, we're always saying praise the Lord, praise Allah. But in reality, do they honor Jesus? No, therefore they don't what? Honor God. We have to, if you believe in God and want to honor God, you must honor His Son. Because Jesus is His ambassador. Very important that we get that. That's the first verily, verily I say to you. Look at verily number 2, verse 24. Verily, verily, or most assuredly, or certainly, or listen up, you know, I say to you, he who hears my word, Jesus says, hear Jesus' teaching, and believe in him who sent me, that's God the Father, two things you have to do. It's not enough to believe in God. You have to, you have to hear Jesus' words and believe. Right? Two things. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Now, this is what we have right now. And notice we're going from seeing, see back in verse 19? Look at this. Seeing, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. That's visual. To verse 24, hearing. Look at this. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word. So we move from seeing to hearing. In verse 19, Jesus sees what the Father does, and he declares it. In verse 24, the people are to hear Jesus' word and believe it. Believe that God the Father has given it to him and be obedient to that word. The result is they will have everlasting life. Actually, it has everlasting life, isn't it? Right now you have everlasting life. Right now. And how about the future? Well, look at the rest, what the rest of the verse says. And shall not come in the future into judgment. Shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death unto life. So we escape the judgment if we believe in Jesus and obey his word and trust in the Father. So that's important. Apart from obeying and hearing Jesus' word and, no, and listening to it, there's no eternal life. No eternal life apart from Christ. Look at the third verily, verse 25. Verily, verily, most assuredly, or with a certainty, 
I say to you, the hour is coming. That's future. Do you agree with me? That's future. And now is. That's already. Already. In the future, and it's already beginning to happen, when the dead will hear the voice of who? The Son of God, and those who hear will live. In the future, Christ is going to judge the world, and he's going to call forth people from the dead, and they're going to be resurrected. They're going to hear his word, and they're going to obey it and come out of their tomb. That's the future. But he says, already. It's even happening right now. And so Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus hears his voice and comes forth. This is what we call the already but not yet. Things are already happening. There will be resurrections right now. But it's not yet like it will be when everyone comes out of the tomb. Jesus is starting to raise people from the dead right now. And then one day he will raise everybody from the dead. We can be sure that everybody will be raised from the dead because he raises some people from the dead right now. That's what he's talking about. Look at verse 26. For the Father has life in himself. Who has life in himself? God the Father has life in himself. Now watch this. And he has granted the Son to have life in himself. So that is a gift from the Father to the Son. And, verse 27, he has given him authority to execute judgment also. So Jesus has life in himself because that was granted to him. And God has given him authority. He's given him two things. He's given him the ability to have life in himself so he can raise people from the dead. And he has given him authority to judge also. Verse 27. Why has he given Jesus this authority? Look at the end of verse 27. Because he is what? He's the son of man. And that's how you should read it. Because he's the son of man. Well, what in the world does that mean? He's the son of man. Well, it's a reference that every Jew would recognize. And it goes back to Daniel chapter 7. So I need you to turn to Daniel chapter 7. Because this is the reason why Jesus has been given authority to judge. It's because he is the son of man. So go to Daniel 7. And you just turn to the middle of your Bible. And when you get to uh, Psalms, you keep moving to your right. You'll find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. We get to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. <clears throat> Jesus has been given this authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 7. Daniel talks about a mysterious figure who's going to show up at the end of the age. And look what he says about this mysterious figure. In verse Daniel 7, in verse, let's just pick up at verse 13. The prophet Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. See that? Coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. And then to him, that's the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which will not be destroyed. There is the Son of Man, the one who is going to inherit a kingdom and is going to rule the world. If you look at the last chapter in Daniel 12, we also see this concept, which is important for us. Daniel chapter 12, and look at verse 2. Daniel 12 and verse 2. This is what's going to happen before the Son gets the kingdom. The Son of Man receives the kingdom. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, that means the dead people, shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting contempt. There's a judgment there. Now go back to John 5 and see if it doesn't fit right in. See how this fits in. Jesus has been given authority, but he's the Son of Man. Now John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29. So look what it says. Do not marvel at this. This shouldn't surprise you, religious leaders. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. That's what we just read in Daniel. And they'll come forth, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil, to the resurrection of condemnation. Jesus is the one that the prophet Daniel saw in his vision predicted that would come and would have the power to give life and judgment upon the world. And now we come to our summary statement, verse 30, which says this, I can do, I can of myself do nothing. Again, he just speaks of his ability or his lack of ability. I can do nothing. As I hear hear what the Father has to say, I judge. Notice in verse 19, he does what he sees. Do you see that in verse 19? Most assuredly, I say the Son can do nothing but what he sees the Father. Do you see that? But look what he says in verse 30. I can do nothing myself. As I hear, I judge. See, uh, Jesus has communication with God. He has this relationship with God which is which is uh, visionary and auditory. Jesus can see things that you can't see. He can see right into heaven. And he can hear things that you can't hear. And he sees God doing certain things and he hears God doing certain things. And that's how he contacts God. We would say today he's a mystic. <laughs> a mystic is a person who has visions and hears, hears voices. Uh, and he's God's mystic. I'm convinced that we should be hearing God speak as well, in some way. Maybe not with a physical voice, but we should have communication with God. In fact, remember what happens on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit comes and enters all the people and abides with them, just like the Holy Spirit abiding with Jesus in the baptism. And Peter gets up and says, these aren't drunk as you suppose. You know, These are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes and he says, your sons and daughters shall see vision. Remember when he says that? Yeah, I mean, this is not something that's extraordinary. We should all be in contact with God. And we should be able to discern God's will, hear God's voice. So Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing in verse 30. As I hear, meaning hear what God says, I judge. And that's why his judgment is true. Because he judges the way God wants him to judge. And that's what he says next. And my judgment is righteous. I never make a mistake. Because 
I do not seek my own will. I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Notice, uh, Jesus doesn't seek his own will. Remember when he's in the garden, he said, not my what? Will be done, but yours. And how does he know God's will? What does he say he does in order to find out what God's will is? He seeks God's will. If Jesus has to seek God's will, guess what we should be doing? Seeking God's will. So, Jesus reflects on God's will. He gets God's will. He gets a sense of what God's will is. And he judges, and he judges justly and rightly. He knows who is to have life, and he gives life to them. He knows who is to be judged and condemned, and he condemns them. And so, that's the difference between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Jesus seeks God's will. He gets still and he listens to God. He gets off by himself and he tries to make communication with God. Discern God's will. The Jewish leaders, oh, they already know God's will. Based on the law. Ah! He breaks the fourth commandment. See, they know God's will already. He should be condemned. Ah, he commits blasphemy. He should be condemned. They know God's will already based on the law. I should put it there on their understanding of the law, which usually is wrong, right? But Jesus, God's doing something new through Jesus. He has poured out his Holy Spirit, his end time spirit upon Jesus in his baptism, and this spirit abides in him. And Jesus speaks the truth. He seeks God's will. He seeks the truth. And he knows it because he gets in touch with God. That's why in the prologue of John's Gospel, in chapter 1, it says, The law came by Moses. But grace and truth come through who? Jesus Christ. Uh, just taking the law and saying this is God's will without really understanding it is to miss the point God's will altogether. But Jesus has the Spirit. He can relay the truth to us and the grace of God to us. So the traditional understanding of the law, the way the Jews understood it, produces guilt. Jesus understands God's will. It produces grace. See, The Jews claim to understand the law, and for them the law produced death. Jesus' understanding of God's will produces life. See? So Jesus is the way. He said, I am the way. I know God's will. Follow me to do God's will. I am the truth. I've heard God's word. I know what the truth is. Just follow me. And I am the what? The life. And he that has the Son has life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's how Jesus responds to the Jewish Users. Next week, we'll look at the four witnesses of Jesus. How do we know that Jesus indeed is God's authorized representative? We have the witness of John the Baptist. He tells us that Jesus is God's authorized witness. We have the witness of God the Father himself, who works through Jesus. We have the witness of the works of Jesus. And then we have the witness of the Old Testament scriptures that foretell that Jesus is going to come on earth. And these four things witness to Jesus being God's ambassador on earth. Usually in the court of law, it only takes two witnesses. 
In verses 31 through 47, we get four witnesses. A double surety that Jesus is God's apprentice and God's ambassador. Lord, we thank you for a passage like this that so often we read over, we skim over, we, we don't reflect on, we don't, we don't chew on it, we don't wrestle with the text. We, we simply read and give glib answers and interpret Scripture just traditionally, no different than the Jews themselves. Oh Lord, help us to be more discerning. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to say... We can do nothing of ourselves, but when we're in touch with you, we know you will. Help us to seek the meaning of Scripture. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord, that we may be supercharged Christians in touch with you. In Christ's name, amen.